Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. What is up, my friend? Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. We are on episode 109. Got a great guest for you today, hanging out, sharing some of her wisdom and uh, a knowledge, freshly baked knowledge biscuits. Not just any knowledge, but like knowledge biscuits. I don't even know what that means. That's that's weird. Okay. So, hey, before we get into today's podcast interview, today's discussion and conversation, hey, let me quickly remind you, if you haven't already, we'd love for you to register for one of our upcoming live workshops where we are teaching all about how to find and book speaking engagements. So whether you are brand new to speaking, you're just getting started, or if you've been doing this for a little while, you're trying to figure out how to get more bookings or get paid more, uh, then we have created a online free training that will help you to do just that. All right. So make sure you register by going over to freespeakerworkshop.com. Again, that is freespeakerworkshop.com. Register for that so you can join us again for our next live one. Again, we do those live just about every single week and are answering your questions. We are there hanging out, helping you however we can, plus just giving you a step-by-step strategy on, again, how to find and book speaking engagements, knowing how much to charge, what to speak about. All of those questions we're going to answer for you. So again, stop by freespeakerworkshop.com, register for that, and we will uh, we'll catch you at the next one of those. All right, so today we're going to be talking with my friend Kerry Wilkerson. Great conversation, a wide-ranging conversation with Kerry. So we talk about how most speakers are more introverted than extroverted. I think that's one thing that most speakers just aren't aware of, that they think in order to be a speaker, you've got to be some type of raging extrovert, and that is just not the case. We also talk about that there's no specific personality type that's really tailor-made for speakers. There's a lot of different types of personalities of people that become speakers. We talk about the balance between the mental confidence of being a speaker and then also taking action just on getting booked. So we'll just talk about mindset, which is an important piece. And then we also talk about the importance of free gigs and how she has used those free gigs to become a better speaker over time. So again, great conversation with my friend, Carrie Wilkerson. Let's get right into it. I hope you enjoy this chit chat chatteroo with Miss Carrie Wilkerson. What is up, my friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Hey, today we are joined by my always sassy friend, Miss Carrie Wilkerson, who is extra sassy today. She hasn't had much coffee, but she warned me nonetheless that she's she's feeling sassy. So, uh, Miss Carrie, how are you? I'm good. Uh, do you know you're the only person that ever calls me that? Maybe because there's like a screen between us and several Maybe hundred miles that I feel, I feel at a safe distance of. Uh, <laughs> and everyone else is like, no, I'm not going to risk that. There you go. Scared Nobody else me. calls you sassy. I don't. I don't. Nobody that, calls me sassy. That's like the Grant Baldwin term for me. I'm sticking with that. I mouthy. feel very comfortable. I've been called mouthy. That. There we go. I could see that too. But I don't, sass, sass, is, do you prefer sassy or mouthy? Sassy sounds nicer. Okay, I can live with that. See, I'm going with a nicer version of mouthy. 
But Sassy and Mouthy work well for speakers, and you are a speaker. That brings us to our conversation. How'd you like that segue? That was pretty good. I like that. That was nice. That's one of those uh, think on top of your feet. Uh, think on your feet? On top of your feet? Off top of your head? Man, Thinking are, on your feet. We are Thinking. off to a strong start here. <laughs> this is all staying in, by the way. All right, Miss Carrie, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass it over to you. So give us a quick nutshell here on who you are, what it is that you do, and then specifically on the speaking side of it. What kind of speaking do you do? How much speaking are you doing? And how does speaking kind of fit into your business today? Yeah. So according to my parents, I've been speaking since birth. Shocking, you know, which they had two boys and I was the first girl and evidently the most verbal one of the bunch. And I have a hard time believing that. Yeah. So I rocked their world a little bit. Rumor has it that when I was little, my daddy said to me, baby girl, if you could ever figure out how to get paid for talking, you'll have it made. So my brothers spent their whole lives like paying me to shut up and telling me to shut up. And now I get paid to talk. So dream job, hashtag dream job, right? So, so that's how I got started. Truthfully, I always knew I would be on the stage. I was the youngest for 17 years. And, you know, if you've studied birth order at all, you know that the youngers, the babies of the family tend to be the entertainers, the influencers, the happy makers. And so I really did fit into that mold for years and years and years, but I thought I would be a singer. So I'm a trained musician. Hmm. My dad was a pastor. I had the stage anytime I wanted it. And that's what I even went to pursue in college. But around age nine or 10, my dad said to me, I need you to switch to worship instead of performance. (laughs) And he said, what I mean by that is you need to start introducing your song with a story or some relevancy to the congregation or why it's important to scripture, you're no longer going to get up on the stage and just start singing and then go sit down as people applaud. That's performance and this is not the place for it. We're going to work on relevance. And Grant, I said, I am not comfortable talking on stage, dad. I would rather not sing. Wow. And he said, well, that's not an option because I'm the dad and the pastor. (laughs) And we're going to learn this new skill. So starting, I probably had the mic half of the month, two Sundays out of every month on average, if everybody showed up and did what they were supposed to do. So I did. I started making things relevant, connecting it to things in the audience, you know, scripture, stuff in the news. And and it gave me kind of a natural cadence on stage. So when I then was in high school, I was a speaker, I was a drum major, I had the the chance to do speeches, but I was never paid for it, right? I still was just the chatty girl. Carrie has no fear, she'll do it. But it really was a skill that I was developing as I moved forward. I still did not have my goals set on being a speaker. I really thought I would be a performer. I was in theater. I was very rehearsed. To this day, this is a little known fact. I'm still a singer. I love to sing. My family's very musical. I think you know this. My 12-year-old's probably headed for Broadway. She's pretty amazing. College kid studies music. I will not do karaoke. I cannot do karaoke. It's not that I don't think I'm good. I think I'm fine, but I need to be rehearsed. I need to be polished. So that's kind of the paradox of me as a public speaker, because as you know, I can literally take a state. Like if somebody cancels and somebody else says, Carrie, I need you to take this slot. I'm there. I'm on it. I'm on the stage. I have no nerves. I'm okay that I'm unrehearsed. So 
yes, I trained to be a performer. I didn't feel like I trained to be a speaker. And yet it all kind of worked together. So it wasn't until, you know, I did teach high school. So that's a whole different kind of speaking. Incidentally, I was always nervous about being in front of my class, always nervous, which is kind of funny. Of course, you know, teenagers are man eaters. So there's that. But it wasn't until I had some success in business that people said, we want you to come tell your story, come tell your story. And that led to me speaking, you know, my earliest crowds were 500, 1500, 2500 people for some of my first speaking gigs. And I'll never forget, Grant, my first speaking thing at the end of my speech, as I was about to step off stage, I had that moment. And I don't know that everybody has this moment in their life about whatever it is that they do. But I had this knowing as I stepped off that stage, this is what I was created for. I have never been at home as much as I am on this stage with this microphone, with these people, whatever I do with the rest of my life, it will incorporate speaking. Now, I wasn't audacious enough to think I'm going to get paid to speak, right. but I knew that I could make a difference speaking. And so that moment in 1999, it was fall of 1999, kind of changed everything in my head. And I came home from that retreat and I told my husband, speaking, I'm supposed to be speaking. And he said, well, yeah. <laughs> Everyone else reached that conclusion long before you. Everybody else knew. Everybody else knew it was a foregone conclusion. I just had to have that moment. And so that's kind of how I got started. But even then I kept working traditional business models. I even hermited for years. I stayed at home. I avoided a lot of people and a lot of public. Part of that was my weight. Part of that was just a lot of issues I was working through. So I really started speaking more and more when I started the Barefoot Executive in late 2007. Of course, when I had a fourth baby, I started the Barefoot Executive when my fourth baby was 10 weeks old. That's what we do, right? We start new businesses and new things. But as that brand grew, I was asked more and more to tell my story, more and more to speak. And it was kind of a foregone conclusion. People would call and say, we probably can't afford your fee, but we would like for you to come speak. That was literally my first paid speaking call went just like that. We probably cannot afford your fee. Our budget is only $2,000, but we're right down the road and we would really love you to come. The next person called, we probably cannot afford your fee. And then I did some research. They had had Brogan before me, Chris Brogan. Mm -hmm. I took his fee and I adjusted it down to 70%. So my fee literally at that year went from 2000 to the very next gig was like eight grand hmm. from one gig to another. Yeah. Isn't that insane? Crazy. And my book still wasn't out. So I literally kind of was called into it, was commanded into it by demand and then I refined it from there. So I took very few gigs because my kids were little. I really wanted to remain in control of my schedule. But there right, was always- jump in. You, you, covered, you covered a lot of ground there. Let me back up just for a second there. Uh, yeah, it's good. It's good. We got, we got a high level view there. So let me dig into a couple different pieces. One of the things that I'm kind of curious about is you mentioned like as the youngest, you were the entertainer. You were the loud one. You were the, I have three daughters. My youngest I never is- said loud. You're the one that said loud. I'm just, I'm just projecting that on you. I'm just suspecting that's what happened. Because I have three daughters. Our youngest is by far what you described in terms yeah. of the entertainer, the life of the party. I am the oldest and, and of three. And my youngest is pretty quiet or 
my youngest sister is pretty quiet and reserved. So I'm curious, do you feel like being like, like we know a lot of speakers who they love being that life of the party. They love being on stage. Do you feel like that that's something that you're either born with or you're not? Do you feel like anybody could be a speaker? I feel like anybody can be a speaker. Yes. You and I know equally as many speakers who are not crazy about being on stage, but they're really compelled by what they're teaching. Right. So we have a lot of those, you know, I'm thinking of Tom Webster, him and his data. I'm thinking of several people like that. Now, birth order that I mentioned earlier, it also depends on how many years are between the people. So I do recommend that people read the Kevin Lehman birth order book. That'll give you some insight into your family. My oldest brother is, you know, he would die before he'd be on stage, all three of my brothers. And I did end up with another little brother, but he wasn't born until I was 17. So I maintained youngest as far as birth order goes. He is youngest as well as firstborn because of all the years. Anyway, I do think anybody can be a speaker. I don't know that anybody should be a speaker. There really are some people that have a hard time stringing thoughts together. I think there are some people that are very natural speakers that speak with an audience. That's very much my style. John Maxwell says, I'm just a natural connector. I'm good at conversation with an audience. He said he cannot pull that off. He's very much a speech deliverer Mm -hmm. to the audience. And now I don't pull that off as well. I am much, much better with my conversational style. So yes, I think anybody can be if you have a knowledge of your subject area. Some people require a lot more polish, a little more formula, and a lot more practice than others. But I do feel that some just are more intuitively wired than not. Are you more introverted or extroverted? I'm an introverted extrovert, actually. Well, a lot of people, including you, would think that I'm an extrovert off the chart. Like I have to go out and and be with people and all that. But I really I do have some introverted tendencies. I am an extrovert because of necessity. My dad was a pastor. I was the youngest. I was the only girl. I was a nurturer. I was the peacekeeper. I wanted to make sure everybody was okay. And when I'm in public, that means look for the underdog, look for the forlorn, look for the unconnected and and put people together and make people smile. It's just part of my innate nature is to make people smile and to facilitate conversation. So when I'm at a dinner table, I'm the one asking the questions. Some people will perceive, oh, she has to be the center of attention. If they really pay attention, they'll see I'm asking questions and drawing out and bringing ease to the table. So my extrovert nature is created, mm-hmm. I think. I am super happy alone. I am very okay going to the movies or dinner or whatever by myself. I'm not that girl that always has to have somebody with her, but I am somebody that hates to see other people feeling alone, sitting at a lunch table alone, or floundering in nature. So when I go to an event, you've seen me event. I can event hard. I can network hard, but then I go back to my room with my Chinese takeout and I just need some space and some quiet. I'm the girl that, that like when my husband travels, the TV doesn't go on for days that there's no noise in the house. And I'm totally okay with that. So I say that's an introverted extrovert. I'm not sure if that's the actual term, but I can, 
I can extrovert on demand. I can absolutely walk into a room and this is not boasting, but I can walk into a room and light it up because I feel like that's part of my job and part of what I'm called to do. Yeah. And I think, well, I'm glad you gave that answer because I, I, I would find myself very similar. And I find that most speakers I know are very similar and that you would think kind of outside looking in and even people listening are just like, oh, she's got to be an extrovert. She sounds like an extrovert. She just sounds like she's life of the party. When in reality, most speakers that I know are, we like people, but we also like not being around people. And so being on stage is a lot of fun, but at the same time, I'm totally, like you said, I'm totally content to as soon as it's over, going right back to my room, not having interaction with humans, not in a negative way, not in a bad way, but just like, so again, I think part of it is just kind of breaking that stereotype of a speaker has to be this certain type of person and has to check these types of personality boxes that either you have it or you don't. I I haven't found that to be the case. Well, let me give you an example. I spoke this past weekend. There was a local rally. There were 4,500 sales professionals there and I was the keynote. And I had the opportunity because it was local to bring my family to watch me work. Now they don't get to watch me work very often. So it was a lot of fun. Also very intimidating because listen to this. I also invited our best friends. That includes my pastor and his wife. He is obviously a public speaker and he's a public speaker I admire. I think he's very good. Not all pastors are very good. He is very good. I invited my parents. My dad is a pastor and was a military officer. My dad is very good in his own way. My mom does women's retreats and Bible teaching and has led officers' wives groups for years, also a public speaker. My husband, who is very introverted, could care less if he saw anybody but the family for years on end. He does public speaking for financial planning. Husband is a reluctant public speaker. My dad was very, I call him a Moses. He was very shy, introverted, imposter issues, did not want to be a public speaker. My mom is a little bit like me. She loves to connect people and she loves to teach and very compelled to have people see things her way. And then my pastor. So I had four related public speakers there, but the five of us could not be more different in our wiring and in our personality. And yet five public speakers, very successful in our niche, in our right. So, so the death of a public speaker is to pigeonhole yourself. I think I can't because, or I can because, or I should because, or I shouldn't because don't do that. Yeah. Totally would agree with that. Okay, so what it sounds like in terms of the getting back to the kind of the business side of it of how you've kind of built your speaking business, you kind of mentioned and kind of alluded to that you you had some success in business and then some opportunities just started kind of trickling your way. So yeah. what kind of like talk us through a little bit more in depth on that. What kind of success in business were you having? What, what were you doing? I was working at home for myself before a lot of people were doing it. I've been doing that 19 years now since dial up internet, y'all. I mean, seriously, that's crazy. I had success to the point that my husband even retired as a 30 year old vice president and worked at home with me for over 10 years. We added two. Huh? What were you doing? At that point, I was a service provider. I had a virtual assistant company before that was a thing. I had contractors that even to this day, I've never met that worked on my team with me, other moms working at home. We did newsletters for a specific portion of the direct sales population. Just one company that we worked with did multiple millions doing that. And as a result, I got to go speak to market my business. Now here's my real evolution as a speaker. I was speaking to market my service business. I was not speaking to be a speaker. Guys, write that down. There are all kinds of speakers. That's what my husband does, speaks to market his business. Pastors do the same thing, speak to market the Lord's business, right? I was speaking to market my business 
which is a little bit different of a pressure. And then that's when, you know, I started getting better and started looking at timing and those kind of things. That's different than being a speaker for the sake of being a paid speaker. Right. So, so anyway, that's what I was doing then. But then I moved into the Barefoot Executive because I was having so much success in business. I wanted to create a website to help other people around the globe not feel so alone working at home because as an introverted extrovert, it can be very isolating and very alone. So I created a website in 2007 called the Barefoot Executive and it just blew up. It just, it really just boomed. So people in the online marketing space, people in the women in business space, those kind of folks started calling me saying, what are you doing Come talk to us about what you're doing. Come teach us how you're doing. Come model some things for us. So that's kind of that evolution there. So I started speaking, you know, to introduce my songs when I was a kid. Then I started speaking to market my business. And then that grew into speaking for the sake of speaking. So the way those gigs came to me is because of social media. I was an early adopter in social media. I was very skeptical about social media, but they saw people asking advice. They saw me giving advice. They saw the events I was attending, the people I was hanging out with. And they said, oh, well, she must really know what she's talking about. I mean, it's, it's this great social credibility. I call it the halo effect. You get the credibility of the people you're hanging out with too. Mm -hmm. So some of those, I mean, literally those calls were cold calls and cold emails of them saying, please come speak with us. We know you must be doing public speaking. I didn't have a web page for speaking and have a reel. I didn't have a fee set up. I didn't have three set talks with topics. Mm Be good at what you do and people want to hear from you. Of course, if you then want to up your keynote and be really booked, you do have to put a couple of strategic things in place, which I know you teach. That really is kind of how that happened. Were you doing anything to let people know that you were a speaker? Because it's, it's one thing for you to be really, really good at some certain skill set or I've, I've had some success in business. It's another thing for people to connect the dots and be like, oh, we should have her come speak on that thing. You know what you I mean? You know like, what I was there's doing? That, there's that disconnect doing- there. I was doing a lot of teleclasses, a lot of interviews, a lot of podcasts before they were called podcasts. You know, Mm -hmm. the weekly shows that people had with their phone, blog talk radio. Remember all that? I was doing lots of interviews. I was speaking, but not on stages. I I was exercising a virtual stage. Even now, if I really want to ramp up my speaking, I put it out there that I'm available for podcasts and inevitably you know, I'm called within a week, within two weeks after podcast. You can also put it on your email signature, put it on your blog. Every time I'm on stage, I post pictures of me either on stage or of the audience. You know, while I'm teaching, people see those things and it just attributes to what you do and what you're available for. People say, Carrie, how do I ramp up my speaking calendar or how do I get on people's blogs? Let them know you're available. Tell them what you do. It's no mistake, too, that you have to think of yourself as a speaker or a teacher. This year, I'm a firm believer in affirmations and changing your own narrative in your own head. And this year, I changed my passwords on all my accounts to, I'm not going to tell you what it is, but (laughs) it, it revolves around the fact that I'm a booked speaker. And so I'm going to tell you that I'm turning down things right now and ramping up my fees right now. And it's because that's how I think of myself. That's what I'm communicating. Those are the pictures I'm putting out there. It's the opportunities that are coming from that. I'm not a law of attraction girl, but I do think that the law of action 
is very, very powerful. And you have to believe it yourself. So if you think, oh, I want to be a speaker, I want to be a speaker. People don't want to book a wannabe speaker. They want to book a speaker. So do some free stuff, proclaim that you are, put pictures out there, you know, whatever you need to do. But that's how you get noticed. That's how you ramp it up. Okay, coming back to that on the kind of the affirmations, the law of attraction, the name it, claim it. Like, I know you're not, that's not what you're suggesting, but how do you balance that? Like the mentality of I can do this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to make this happen with the practical side of like, I can't just click my heels and snap my fingers and it's all going to just magically work out and I just get bookings. So how do you, like, how have you balanced the mentality of I can do this with the practicality of here's what I'm going to actually do to make that happen? Yeah. So, so stop thinking about it and go do it. We have a mutual friend, Scott McCain. He said he has the same advice. Anybody that says to him, I want to be a speaker. He said, amazing. Good. Do that. And they'll say, how do I get started? He'll say, go give 200 talks as fast as you can. And that doesn't mean speak as fast as you can do 200 gigs free, whatever, as fast as you can go speak at the school, go speak at your rotary club, Toastmasters, PTA, church. I speak on a weekly basis at my church. Now this is the best gig ever. It's unpaid, but I love it, which means I can say whatever I want. And I remind them of that every week. I'm like, ah, can't fire me because nobody pays me. So I get to do the welcome. I get to practice and open and every speaker knows the open will make you or kill you, right? I get to practice and open every Sunday morning, I have a five minute open slot. It's amazing. Now I didn't orchestrate that, but I made myself available for that. And so now we have a big church. And so now people in my church are like, what do you do for a living? Oh, I saw you in the newspaper. You were going to go speak at the such and such. Would you also come speak at the whatever? So I would say, if you're going to put it out there that that's what you do, then you have to go do it and you have to go make it happen. Go speak for free. Don't diva it out until you deserve to be a diva. I know a lot of really well-paid speakers that still do not do the diva. I, I'm not a diva. I, you know, I'll go do some free stuff. I do some low-paid stuff. I negotiate for some stuff. And I take lots and lots of pictures and sign lots and lots of things because I'm so grateful to do what I do. So you can't just put it out there. You got to put you out there too. They don't want you cutting your teeth on them. Right. So they have to see the pictures of the other places that you've spoken, whether it's online interviews, do a lot of interviews like this, do a lot of interviews for people that don't have much of an audience, practice yourself and get out there and do free gigs. And that's where the paid gigs come from. So my first few gigs came from the fact that I was doing so many of my own teleclasses and broadcasting those people were hearing me speak on a weekly basis. And most people cannot differentiate between airwaves and stage. If you speak, you're a speaker. Right. Right. Period. And then I was on lots of other people's interviews, which is basically them saying, hey, she's worth inviting. She has credibility. So anytime you have that going on, your gigs will come if you're compelling and or entertaining and or informative. If you stink, the gigs will not come. You have to get better. So you have to get better. You have to be okay. We've all seen those American Idol auditions of those people whose mamas told them they're very, very good. You got to get in front of some other people. You got to take some criticism and you got to get better. Don't be that person that we're all making fun of on American Idol. It's it's unfortunate, really. So I don't care how much you're out there. 
or how much you think you're out there. If you're not getting called, if you're not getting booked, you might look at your technique and you might have, this is when you need to pay a coach or pay somebody like you or, you know, whatever, really work on what you're doing. You can't be so in love with what you do and how you do it that you're not getting better. For years, I've resisted a coach because I loved my style. I loved how spontaneous it was and kind of raw it was. And I was still getting booked, right? But I've seen this year, there are a couple of factors I really am working on. So I'm working with a couple of coaches for different things. One includes my voice pitch. Like I can tell I need to speak with a different part of my voice because I'm a little raw after a full day. Since this is the moneymaker, right? I've got to take care of it. This in my brain, my voice and my brain are the two assets I take care of the most. Third would be image. So voice, brain, image. I mean, as a speaker, that's what we've got. But I am working with a coach on a couple of things this year, even though I'm, I'm booked Even though I have a great keynote fee, even though I'm turning things down, we can still be better. So don't be the new person that says, but I'm good if they would just let me have their audience. You know, that it it doesn't work that way. It sounds like kind of what what you were saying there and even what you referenced like with with Scott McCain, that part of the reason that, you know, you or Scott or whoever has been successful or has, has become a good speaker isn't because they have any special skill set or talent or any special magical power that someone else doesn't have. Some of it just seems like just volume in terms of not a volume in terms of loudness, um, but volume in terms of just the number of I've done podcasts, I've done small gigs, I've done big gigs, I've done all different types of formats and settings and sessions. And the more you do it, the better you become. Like like one of the things I, I kind of joke around about, like with with my the analogy I use is like with my daughters. If, if I was teaching one of my girls to ride their bike. Like we could watch YouTube videos, we could read blog posts about it, but the best way to learn how to ride the bike is just to go ride the freaking bike and you're going to crash and there's going to be time for you to fall down. Yeah. You're just going to be like, oh my gosh, that went bad. We're never going to do that again. But then there's going to be sometimes, yeah, it feels, it, it works and it feels good and things are clicking. Yeah. I would liken it to this. I have a small body frame. I never knew that before I lost weight. I always thought I was like what they call big boned. Nope. Doctor says I'm one of the tiniest framed people he's ever seen. Who knew? I was hiding it. But how much, but how much let's weight did you lose? Huh? How much weight did you lose? 145 pounds so far. Dang. Over, Isn't that over crazy? what? Yeah, over I've what lost more than I am. I've, I've lost more than I am now, which is kind of fun. So I never knew that I was tiny, but I have this tiny bone structure and not a muscular bone structure naturally. My best friend, as you know, is Paul Evans. And Paul Evans is also short. He's five foot five point five is what he always says. He always adds the 0.5 in there. He is, I think what's called an endomorph. Like he has a caveman structure is what I call it. Like his shoulders are wide enough to fit through the door. Just kind of naturally, kind of naturally muscular. When he lifts weights, he naturally builds muscle. He was born naturally with the ability to build that muscle and with a different body structure. It doesn't mean I cannot build muscle because I wasn't born with it. It means I have to do different reps and more reps and different weights than Paul does. So I would say that speakers are kind of the same way. Grant, you and I have a good natural style, but we also put in the reps. Right, right. We have spoken on stage with some folks that have put in a lot of reps and still don't have the same ease in their style that we do, but they're still effective. And yeah. and so I do believe that reps are important, but there are some people that are just naturally built for it. My 12-year-old is a very gifted, very natural vocalist. 
holy cow, she blows me away. But she fooled herself into thinking she didn't have to do the reps and do the practice. And as a result, became a little complacent. And I'm not going to say mediocre because honestly, she's not mediocre, but less than what she could be. But when somebody with the natural ability does the reps, I mean, you just add distance there. So I would say you have to do the reps. You have to lift the weight. If you're talented and you're natural and you're gifted, it still doesn't mean you're always going to be booked. You might be booked some incidentally and accidentally, but if you really want the big fees, if you really want the standout stages, you have to do the reps and get even better. So I think there's so much in all that, but we have to know some of us are built for it. Some of us are not, but we all have the capacity to do the reps and be better. So don't be afraid to go speak for free. Don't be afraid to do some of the less than gigs, even though you want to compete with so-and-so put in the work and it will absolutely pay off. All right. I'm going to ask you one final thing and I didn't prep you on this. So I'm going to put you on the spot. No pressure. So on the bike riding, there's sometimes where it goes really, really well. And sometimes you fall and you skin yeah. your name. So one of the questions I like to ask speakers who, who've done a, a few laps around the track is tell us about a time where it couldn't be worse than this. So as a speaker, what's a situation where I spoke and I just bombed or didn't go well, or it was a weird audience or it was a weird setting or the environment, some crazy thing happened. So yeah. uh, you got, you got something you're nodding there. What, what comes to mind? Tell us about a time where it couldn't be worse. Well, than you this. know, my first, my first reaction is because I'm kind of good with improv and I've been performing so long, I can always pull it out if, if it's a good match, if it's an audience match. So I really cannot think of a time <laughs> when I couldn't rescue it, except you said audience mismatch. Yeah. Yeah. I was booked one time to speak at a Texas real estate convention, not a sales real estate convention. I really didn't know the difference at this time, but it was one where they were earning their continuing education credits. Okay. So like they gave me the curriculum. Okay. Number one mistake. Like, I don't want to teach your curriculum. I need to do what I do. The other thing is this was one of the only audiences that did immediate like evaluation forms. Anyway, the topic was something I couldn't resonate with. I was prepared and still this audience was such a mismatch. The venue was horrid. So there were like 150 people in a thousand person room, all spread out, all hate each other, evidently, because they're all competing. (laughs) the same business. Like some of the most hateful feedback I got was on my earrings. You've seen me mention that in our speaker <laughs> group. My best feedback ever was, holy cow, those earrings. I mean, they were sparkly. They were Texas real estate glamour shot worthy. <laughs> and, and that's what I got feedback on, but it just wasn't a match. So there is no skill I could have had. There was nothing I could have said to be a match for these people. And I walked out of there, not doubting myself as a speaker. I I really didn't gratefully do that. I just went, okay, this is a lesson in making sure the audience is a match. Don't say yes, just to say yes and twist yourself into their mold. Make sure The mold is a fit for you. It doesn't mean we don't take risks on stage. It doesn't mean we're not bold in pursuit of gigs, but don't take something just for the sake of. So that, I remember being on stage with that really flat audience. And if they were at a sales conference, the audience would have received me very differently. Mm -hmm. But I would have been speaking something very different. I opened at lunch that same day and I killed it. But in that next session- 
of the continuing credits, it really was embarrassing. It was unnerving. And at the same time, it was one of my best lessons ever. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I think we all have those moments where it couldn't be worse than this, but those, those happen and they, uh, they keep you on your toes for sure. So Carrie, well, thanks for the time. Hey, if people want to find out more about you, what you're up to, where can we find you online? You know, I'm pretty active on my Facebook page, which is Barefoot Executive named after my first book. So go to Barefoot Executive on Facebook, but also CarrieWilkerson.com. I spell Carrie like Stephen King's prom queen. So C-A-R-R-I-E Wilkerson.com. There's a blog there. There's videos there. And uh, you can actually go through a seven-day free video coaching series. Beautiful. Well, we'll link up to all of that in the show Woo-hoo. notes. So thanks for spending some time with us. We appreciate you. Thanks. Appreciate it. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that chit chat with Miss Carrie Wilkerson. Good stuff there. She is a uh, she's a little firecracker, so you just never quite know what you're going to get from her. Hey, again, let me remind you if you haven't already, definitely register for one of our upcoming free workshops. You can stop by freespeakerworkshop.com. Again, that is freespeakerworkshop.com. They are online trainings, totally free. You can join us anywhere in the world and uh, come hang out with us again by going over to freespeakerworkshop.com. All right, my friends, that wraps up today's episode. We will catch you next time. You're awesome.